The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, this is Dr. Susan with Occupy Health. We're here today to uh, talk with Dr. Akil Palanasamy, uh, who will tell us all about the uh, Paleo-Vedic diet. So Dr. Palanasamy is a physician who practices integrative medicine, blending his conventional medical expertise with evidence-based holistic approaches, including functional medicine and Ayurveda. He studied biochemistry at Harvard and completed his medical training at the University of California, San Francisco, and at Stanford University. This was followed by a fellowship with Andrew Weil at the University of Arizona. Currently, he practices at the Sutter Health Institute for Health and Healing in San Francisco. He is the author of the book, The Paleovetic Diet, a complete program to burn fat, increase energy, and reverse disease. So welcome to our show. Thanks for having me on, Susan. Oh, you gave such a brilliant lecture, I wouldn't miss this. So let's inform the audience about your book so they can learn about this. So can you talk about the evolutionary mismatch and why people are so unhealthy now? Absolutely, yes. So the the main reason is that we are all uh, genetically not adapted to modern life. And the reason for that is that for, you know, almost three million years, we lived as hunter-gatherers and followed a very different diet and lifestyle from uh, what we follow now, all, you know, ranging from, of course, the foods we eat, um, how much physical activity we get, our sleep, levels of stress, levels of social connection. And so um, what we're genetically adapted to is completely different from uh, modern lifestyle, and that's the the definition of evolutionary mismatch. And so that's uh, why I wrote the book was to address that, but also expand on the paleo diet, which has been written about a lot, because uh, I believe that ultimately a paleo diet uh, should be customized, you know, for each person. And so the book is all about uh, using Ayurveda, using uh, functional medicine to customize the diet and lifestyle for each person. Oh, let's come back to some of those terms a little bit later. But one of the questions I have, what about all this technology and all the lights we have, the smart technology, the cell phones? Is that impacting us? Well, I think that, um, you know, it definitely is. And, uh, for example, one of the well-established areas is with how they, uh, they affect our circadian rhythms. So uh, before, you know, we used to wake up with the sunrise and go to bed with the sun setting. And now with the light exposure at night, it um, uh, especially if that occurs right before sleep, you know, from our devices or from just um, uh, other artificial lighting, uh, it definitely throws off our melatonin and, um, you know, our ability to sleep well. And for people who are uh, working the night shift or the graveyard shift, you know, they've been shown to have very profound adverse effects from that, you know, light exposure through the night and the damage to the circadian rhythms. So I think that there's definitely an effect um, there and, you know, something to keep in mind. So doesn't the blue light from our devices and this, uh, computers and our TVs, doesn't that interfere with melatonin production? Yes, exactly. And that's why for my patients who are struggling to sleep, I always tell them to uh, turn off their devices at least two hours before they're going to bed. And often they're 
uh, using their devices in bed right up until the time they're going to sleep. And of course, that's going to hinder their melatonin production. And then they wonder why they can't fall asleep. You know, it's, it's a really uh, significant effect from the, the blue light from all these devices. But melatonin, let me un- see if I understand this, because melatonin helps us sleep. And it's got an inverse relationship with cortisol, which jacks us up and wakes us up and get our gets our whole system going. So does so that's the way that it throws off our circadian rhythm, that it jacks up our cortisol, so we're up and ready to go at the wrong times. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the two ways. I think um, the other uh, way is just uh, if it's not produced in the uh, appropriate levels, then you don't really feel sleepy and you have a hard time falling asleep. So you know it's produced by the pineal gland in a pulsatile uh, fashion. And when it's thrown off by the light, ex- like the blue light exposure, then it's not secreted in that pulsatile manner that gets the brain ready to go to bed and fall asleep. So it's like your brain doesn't get the right cues that it needs to sleep. Isn't there something like uh, certain color glasses you could put on to block out the blue light late at night so it'll help yes, protect exactly. the depletion of your melatonin? Okay. Um, yes, there now, are these uh, orange-colored glasses that people sometimes use for that purpose. Okay. Yeah, we've even used them in the emergency room. Okay. Um, you mentioned once that the average time that people, the rate that people check their devices is 85 times a day. Right. That was an interesting study which looked at um, young people who are probably the you know, the highest users of devices and uh, actually tracked how many times they checked their phone during the course of a typical day. And they estimated that they checked their phone maybe 30 times, 40 times, but the actual number was 85 times. So um, it's much more frequent than we realize, and often it's unconscious, and you know, people may not realize how much time they're spending every day just looking at their phones and checking you know, for the updates on their phone. And how is this impacting us? Well, it has been shown that, uh, um, you know, overuse of technology, um, especially in teenagers, has been linked with um, anxiety and depression. And um, I think, you know, for all people, it affects um, how how much you're um, just connecting with other people, you know, versus wrapped in your phone, um, how much physical activity you're getting. So I think that um, technology impacts a lot of other areas of our life that are really important for health. Yes, because a lot of studies show the importance of community and connection. And one other statistic you had that was very interesting is that our average attention span is eight seconds. Exactly. Yeah, this was studied by Microsoft uh, using EEG data, and the um, uh, atten- human attention span was 12 seconds back in the year uh, 2000, and then it's gone down you know, all the way to eight seconds just in these um, less than two decades. And the uh, rise in the use of technology is probably one of the driving factors behind that. And in contrast, the attention span of a goldfish on average is about nine seconds. So now we've fallen behind goldfish in terms of how much we can actually concentrate in a, at, at once. Wow, what does that say? Well, let's get back to you, you towards your book. So, first of all, what is functional medicine? So, functional medicine is a branch of integrative medicine. So, integrative medicine basically looks at combining the best of alternative therapies like um, herbs, acupuncture, supplements, and conventional medicine. And that's what I trained in with Dr. Andrew Weil at the University of Arizona. Now, a branch of integrative medicine is functional medicine, which uses specialized lab testing to diagnose and treat uh, the function of different organ systems, whether that is the hormone system or the gut microbiome or, um, uh, you know, detoxification pathways. So it does use lab testing, which could be blood tests, uh, urine, saliva, or stool samples, um, but in a much more detailed and advanced way than your conventional physician typically uses them. And doesn't it try to get at the underlying causes, why this is happening, rather than just say, oh, this organ isn't functioning, let's uh, give you a pill to deal with the symptoms, a Band-Aid? So doesn't it look at which organs aren't working and what you need to do to make the pathways functional optimally? Yes, absolutely. That's a great point, uh, Susan. Yeah, it definitely tries to identify what are the underlying causes of 
dysfunction and symptoms and disease and then to address those symptoms. And that uh, aspect of functional medicine was something that uh, first drew me to it because um, Ayurveda, which is the other science that I'm trained in, also very much focuses on the root cause and um, not just treating symptoms, but uh, addressing things at the deepest fundamental level to to really rebalance. So Ayurveda and functional medicine both seek to really address uh, root causes. So tell us more about Ayurveda. Sure. So Ayurveda is um, a 3,000-year-old system of medicine from India, and it's the uh, derived from the word Ayu, which means life, and Veda meaning science. So basically, it's the science of life. And it uh, relies on the concept of body types and that each person is born with a different body type. And the main strength of Ayurveda is uh, personalization. So what I've seen in my practice and I try to um, outline in my book is the uh, advantages of really customizing a diet for yourself, you know, for your unique genes and body type. And um, because we know that, you know, one size doesn't fit all when it comes to nutrition, but actually customizing and personalizing the diet is much harder. And that's where Ayurveda is, um, is really strong and can give people a lot, a lot of insight into uh, the best ways to do that. Yeah, as I recall, Ayurveda has three main types and you can have combinations thereof and there's different diets and different programs for each type. Exactly. Yeah, the three main um, doshas or forces that Ayurveda talks about are vata, which you can think of as wind, pitta, which is equivalent to fire, and kapha, which is uh, earth. And so the uh, every person has a different proportion of all three. And based on that, there's different recommendations for diet and lifestyle. And um, so I think that Ayurveda, if used by itself, you know, is uh, very powerful. But when combined with functional medicine and paleo, it's just really incredible. And that's what I've tried to do in my book, just uh, show how the synergies exist between these different systems. And studying traditional Chinese medicine, there even seems to be overlap with their paradigm as well and some of the same diet recommendations. I just found that extremely interesting and helpful. Um, So uh, what exactly is a paleo diet? Yeah, so the paleo diet seeks to emulate the diet of our paleolithic uh, ancestors. And basically it's, um, you know, looking at eliminating the foods that are much more processed and, um, you know, and modern. And um, even agriculture, which um, started about 10,000 years ago with the production of grains, um, has not had much time to really influence our genetic code. So um, a lot of our genes, as I said, were shaped by our lives as hunter-gatherers and even um, has, have not caught up with the changes with the grain production and ag- agriculture. So the paleo diet tries to... Um, you know, take out the foods that were not uh, adapted to process well and return to more of the diet that were genetically best able to handle. So this is a part of the evolutionary mismatch that you refer to. Yes, exactly. As well as the technology. And I imagine also the increasing stressors in our life. Uh, James Lavelle, whom we'll have on the show later, uh, mentioned that it's all the stressors and the sympathetic overdrive and the adrenaline going that makes us uh, not able to tolerate some of these things as well as we could in the 50s when we ate lots of breads and stuff. So our Mm -hmm. lifestyle has changed. And so that's why you want to look at this mismatch and get us back more to what our bodies can handle. Okay. Yeah, and I think in addition in addition to stress, I think the other big factor that affects how we how tolerate um, how we don't tolerate grains and those foods is the microbiome and how there there's been so many so much change in the human microbiome in the last uh, 50 years with the rise of antibiotics and the decline in um, you know the uh, quality of our food and the rise of you know antibiotic hand sanitizers and um, so many other factors cesarean sections um, etc so I think all those things have changed our microbiome and really that does have a direct impact on your food sensitivities and what you can tolerate in your diet. So I think that's definitely a big factor as well. 
Yes, uh, every single speaker has talked about the microbiome and how crucial it is for our health. And with an unhappy microbiome, we lead the way to disease. It's just about every speaker, such as Dr. Vajani last week, have uh, mentioned this. So it's crucial. And a microbiome is changing over time and is affected by our lifestyle stress. And so it's essential for health. Okay, we're coming up to a break, but in a couple of minutes, can you tell us about your background and how you got interested in paleo? Absolutely, yeah. I think for me, I started out as a scientist uh, studying biochemistry at uh, Harvard, and then um, I ended up with a health crisis when I started medical school because I had uh, actually become a vegetarian for about three years and uh, thought I was uh, you know, re- eating the healthiest diet possible. And then started to have, um, you know, chronic pain and um, neck pain, back pain, weight loss, and fatigue to the point where I could no longer continue in medical school, and I had to take a year off. And despite seeing all the best doctors around the country and um, doing, you know, all the uh, latest physical therapy, um, I was just getting worse and worse. And so I, I realized something had to be missing, and I actually went to an Ayurvedic doctor for the first time, and. Um, she was one of the people who um, pointed out that for my body type, actually um, having some animal protein was necessary and that a vegetarian diet was not the best approach. And so I began to think about why that is. And, um, you know, and then once I started um, resuming having animal protein, that really made a big difference. And also the um, Ayurvedic doctor recommended bone broth. And this was before bone broth was really popular, you know, 20 years ago. Okay. But uh, uh, I, I, hate, I, I hate to interrupt, but we are coming to a break now. Uh, this sounds sure. very crucial because uh, many people are on vegetarian diets, which might not be for them. Uh, we'll have more after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You probably don't spend too much time talking about that place down there. Why not? There's now a show where that's mostly what we talk about and so much more. It's the Womb Happy Hour with host Lorraine Giordano. It's all about your body and the magical power you possess. Guys, you might want to tune in too. There's no reason to be squeamish. Listen for the Womb Happy Hour, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health & Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health & Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to drsusan at occupyhealth.com. That's drsusan at occupyhealth.com. Now, back to this week's program. This is Dr. Susan back with uh, our guest, and he was describing how he got very sick in medical school and um, set him on this journey to find a better way to heal. So you're on a vegetarian diet, and that doesn't work for everybody? Yes, exactly. And so this is the the thing with, um, you know, certain body types is that they're better suited to have some animal protein in their diet and... Uh, that's the opposite for other body types that may not really need any animal protein and could be fine on a vegetarian diet. And so that's what the Ayurvedic practitioner helped me to understand. And with Ayurveda, it also tells you how much raw food you should be eating. And uh, in my case, I was eating a lot of raw food, and actually that was also not good for my body type. So I switched uh, to a more of a cooked food diet and completely cut out the raw foods, um, incorporated meat, incorporated the bone broth that was very healing for my gut. And so 
I think that um, just making those change, simple changes with my, with my diet did more for my health than, you know, seeing all the top doctors in the country and, and seeing all the specialists. And um, after about a year, I was well enough to go back to medical school and, and, and complete it. And then I did further training in, you know, nutrition and integrative medicine and, and then really uh, grew to appreciate the power of diet to, to really change a person's health. So what is, uh, so why did you decide to combine Ayurveda with paleo? Why why pick those two? Yes, the main reason is that in my practice I see a lot of patients who are already on a paleo diet but actually hurting themselves in some way and this is of course not intentional but uh, I saw people who were eating um, much lower carb, for example, than they needed uh, or having way too much raw foods or, um, you know, having or following a, a diet that wasn't adapting to their changing life circumstances, um, you know, or a diet that wasn't ideal for their body type. So I saw a lot of mistakes that people were making that um, Ayurveda could help with correcting. And then the the main benefit of Ayurveda is really the individualizing the nutrition and lifestyle. So I really saw a lot of strengths in combining those two approaches with my patients and um, wanted to uh, bring that concept together in the book. So what is the Paleovedic diet as described in your new oh, book? Yeah. Yes, so the Paleovedic diet basically is a nutrient-dense, customized paleo diet. And so the two aspects that differentiate this diet are the nutrient-dense part and the customized part. So the customized part we've talked about, you know, using Ayurveda to figure out your body type. And I have a questionnaire in my book um, over a few pages that helps people identify their body type and then figure out what recommendations they can make to personalize the diet for themselves. And then the nutrient-dense part is the first part where I talk about how um, both micronutrients and, um, you know, antioxidants are very deficient in the modern diet. And um, I spend an entire chapter talking about how the changing in changes in agriculture have led to a lot of uh, loss of the nutrients that are that were beneficial, you know, for so many years and also how to choose the best uh, fruits and vegetables that have the most, um, you know, highest levels of nutrients. So I really focus a lot on nutrient density because those nutrients are the primary defense against disease that we have. And um, it's not uh, possible to just tell somebody to eat more fruits and vegetables because if they're eating the wrong kind of fruits and vegetables, they're actually not helping themselves, you know, too much. So I spent an entire chapter telling people which fruits and vegetables to eat, um, how to prepare them, um, how to, you know, optimally get the most nutrients out of them. So um, so that's, in a nutshell, the paleo-Vedic approach is really the nutrient-dense, customized paleo diet. So let me see if I understand. You break it down into the three uh, doshas, uh, as described in Ayurveda, and then you uh, use a framework of paleo to fit within each of these three doshas? Yes, exactly. Okay. And so um, can you give us examples of a couple of uh, cases or people so we get a better idea of what your approach is like? Sure. So um, uh, in my practice, I saw, uh, I'll give a couple of examples. So first was uh, um, I saw a woman um, who was uh, in her um, early 40s, mother of two, and her main symptoms were constipation, fatigue, and anxiety. And she had been eating paleo for about a year. Um, mostly she had been eating big salads for lunch and, um, and you know, either cold cuts or um, salmon with vegetables for dinner. She wasn't really eating any grains. And um, she was drinking a lot of ice water every day because her doctors were telling her to have more water to help with the constipation. And... So when examining her and figuring out her body type, um, I determined that she was very much uh, bata, which is the wind body type. And for such a person, um, uh, excess bata often manifests as um, constipation, fatigue, and anxiety, which were her three main symptoms. So she was like a textbook case. And the things that she was doing that were actually exacerbating her condition were having all of these cold foods, uh, like the salads every day, and the cold cuts and, uh, you know, smoked salmon. And so I had her um, completely cut out the raw food and switch to warm, cooked, 
know, vegetables, soups, stews, and um, kind of more vata balancing foods. And then also she was drinking all this iced water, which is very um, harmful for vata body type. And so I had her, you know, cut that out and just drink uh, room temperature water and um, helped her incorporate more spices because that's a really big part of the paleo-vedic diet is using spices, which are incredibly healing. Uh, They reduce inflammation. They're incredible antioxidants, and they boost your metabolism. So I had her make all those changes, and within about three months, her constipation had resolved, and um, her anxiety and fatigue were about 70% improved. So um, just within just with those simple dietary changes and lifestyle modifications. So uh, that was a, a case of somebody with a Vata problem. That is now impressive. Contra- yeah. Now, in contrast, um, someone with a Pitta problem presents a very different way. So um, I saw a uh, software engineer from um, Silicon Valley who was in his early 30s and had um, some ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune condition with inflammation. And um, he also had been on a paleo diet and had been mostly having, you know, red meat, fermented dairy, eggs, uh, sauerkraut, and uh, other uh, vegetables but still was struggling with um, diarrhea and you know, some blood in his stools. And um, so when examining him, he was a, a classic pitta or a fire body type. And um, he was manifesting a lot of um, pitta uh, symptoms, which included the, um, you know, the diarrhea, the inflammation in the, uh, the colon and um, sensation of feeling warm all the time. And in his case, um, even though he was on a paleo diet, he was having a lot of these foods that were way too um, heating and, and not beneficial because of his body type. So the, the meat, eggs, and dairy, in his case, were actually um, not recommended during that acute phase of um, pitta imbalance. So I had him actually do a, um, an elimination diet where he uh, cut out the meat, eggs, and dairy and just focused on bitter greens and an Ayurvedic dish known as kichari, which is basically um, rice and legumes, you know, very uh, easy to digest, uh, soothing food. And um, the, um, you know, cut back on um, some of the, uh, like, excessive uh, spices he was using. And, um, yeah, in his case, I did recommend that he start adding raw food. So in contrast to the other patient, you know, he actually would, did really well with, um, with raw food and um, benefited from that. So all of those things just go to balance pitta. And um, after about three months, you know, his um, bowel movements were better and um, there was, uh, you know, the blood had disappeared from his stool and uh, his body temperature was better. And it took about a year, you know, overall to, to work with him, but we were able to um, get him into remission uh, just without uh, medications and, you know, using diet. It is a slow process, but um, it definitely worked in terms of the, the long term with helping him to, you know, understand his body type and what works for him individually. Now, these three doshas, kapha, pitta, and vata, do they change over time for an individual or are they constant throughout a lifetime? Well, the um, constitution or body type um, never changes, and that's what you're born with. Um, the current state of the doshas is always changing, so it um, changes every you know every day with the diet and lifestyle, those kind of things. But with the um, questionnaire, we're really looking to capture the person's original tendencies and qualities. So we're trying to get their you know original constitution. So. Um, and one more point about that is, uh, you know, let's say that you complete this questionnaire and you are um, come out as 50% vata, 30% pitta, and 20% kapha. So uh, mostly vata with, you know, pitta secondary. Your goal would not be to get like 33% of, of each. You're, you're not trying to totally equalize all of them. You're trying to actually return to that original constitution of, you know, 50 vata, 30 pitta, and 20 kapha. So you're basically trying to return to your unique makeup, you know, that's, uh, um, that's your, your body type. And um, so if that makes sense, you're not trying to get equal amounts of all three because then we would all be the same. And, you know, what makes us unique and individual is, is what makes us interesting. Wow, fascinating. 
Um, you talk about spices a lot and how helpful they are to the body and inflammation, etc. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think with spices, they're really underutilized in the um, you know modern Western diet, and uh, I think that's a shame because they're among the most nutrient dense foods that are um, out there. You know, I think second only to organ meats in terms of uh, nutrient density. And um, there are four main benefits that I like uh, about spices. The so one, of course, is the anti-inflammatory effect. Second is their uh, incredible uh, antioxidant properties. And um, third, actually, is blood sugar regulation because um, spices, um, most of them help with maintaining, you know, healthy blood sugar. And we know that blood sugar dysregulation and insulin resistance is one of the big causes for modern chronic diseases. And then finally, they help with um, keeping the digestion strong and, uh, and optimal and in Ayurveda, it's believed that all diseases start in the gut with a digestive uh, imbalance. So spices really keep the digestion strong, which can you know help um, keep you healthy overall. How interesting that uh, correlates with functional medicines and naturopaths and most of the guests that we've had. So do these spices differ by dosha or body type? Uh, yes. So I talk about um, 13 spices in my book, and um, you know that includes some common ones like uh, turmeric and ginger and uh, cinnamon, but also things that are less common like um, black cumin, for example, incredibly powerful. Um, also allspice, it has a lot of health benefits, and um, um, fennel and clove, you know, for example. And uh, it does differ in terms of um, which spices one should try to incorporate more with the, uh, their body type. And um, I think, you know, the one exception is probably turmeric because uh, it's just so incredibly health-promoting and um, fairly well-tolerated by all the body types. So I think uh, everyone should be, you know, cooking with it and incorporating it into their diet. Yes, it helps about every pathway that we can imagine. Now, I imagine we need fresh spices rather than the ones that are in little jars in our supermarkets. Well, actually, with spices, I think they do maintain their potency fairly well, even when they're, you know, bottled. And I think the the thing is, if you if you plan getting um, whole spices and then grinding them at home before cooking is best for most of them, like, um, you know, with um, cumin and coriander and fennel, all those that come in seeds. I think with turmeric, actually, you don't have to get the whole root and grind it. You can get just turmeric powder. Um, and as long as you're using it within a few months, I think it's, um, it's fine. They do lose their potency if you keep them for you know, a long time, like months and months. So the, the key thing is buying small quantities and using them within, say, three to six months. Okay, so we should use our spices within three to six months. Okay, Um, we are coming close to a break now, so uh, perhaps we should break right now. We can come back and continue the conversation when we return. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you have been experiencing addiction issues, be it drugs, alcohol, or something else, you know what it means to feel alone in the world. The Power to Create Yourself with host Ross Ramin is here to prove that you don't have to feel this way. There are others who have been there or are still there, and together we can sort out the truths and the lies in order to reveal the true essence of your character. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. 
We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. That's Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, here we are back to continue with our conversation on the Paleovedic diet. So uh, you also are an expert in autoimmune diseases, one of your specialties. So what is your basic approach in dealing with autoimmune diseases? Um, absolutely, yeah. I think Ayurveda and functional medicine both have a lot to offer in the area of autoimmune diseases. And I think with conventional medicine, it's basically steroids or immunosuppressants. And, you know, they do have a role and they're very effective and powerful, but they don't often address the root cause. So why is the immune system out of control and why is the person getting the autoimmune disease in the first place? And so I think that, you know, the key thing, of course, is diet. And so uh, the nutrient-dense customized uh, diet, like the paleo-vedic approach, I think that's the foundation of autoimmune disease. And then we want to look at all the drivers of why the um, immune system is out of control. And these include things like food sensitivities, uh, leaky gut syndrome, the um, environmental toxins that are, you know, so so prevalent, um, the mind-body stress connection, um, and um, changes in the microbiome. So I think those are some of the key root causes that I um, investigate and help people to address. And then when you address the root causes of autoimmune disease, it actually goes a long way towards um, inducing remission and reducing flare-ups and, you know, eventually reducing the need for medication. So I find this approach to be really effective for, you know, many people with autoimmune disease. Our last two speakers, Dr. Smith and Dr. Vijani, uh, I'm talking about food sensitivities and toxins, were saying that Anytime we've got undigested food that hits our blood system, that it triggers an uh, autoimmune response, which can attack our organs because the organs look so similar. That's called uh, molecular mimicry. And they also say that uh, Dr. Vajani was saying any kind of toxin, it kind of gloms onto uh, part of our enzymes or food, and it starts this whole process going rampant. Exactly. And so, um, for example, even with um, heavy metals like um, mercury, there's been some interesting research showing that uh, mercury actually reacts with um, certain proteins in the body and combines directly with the body tissue. So the result is this um, hybrid tissue that is um, part heavy metal and part uh, body cell. And now, of course, then the immune system is going to see that as foreign and create antibodies against that um, tissue, and that's just one way that um, heavy metals can play a role in autoimmune disease. And, um, you know, that includes um, things like lead and mercury, which is found in certain dental fillings, uh, fish and seafood. And, um, of course, lead is a really big problem, which is um, not just in, you know, lead paint and some water, but also uh, more increasingly in the environment and, you know, even some kinds of chocolate, uh, you know, have lead now. So um, I think the, it's a real issue, the, the presence of these um, toxins in the environment. Also, I understand lead can even be found in lipstick. Yes, a lot of these um, personal care products are um, um, unfortunately also, you know, containing lead and other toxins. So it's a good idea to find, to kind of green your personal cosmetics and you know personal care products so that you're, you're they're generally free of uh, toxic chemicals. And also, I understand that aluminum can decrease the glutathione, which is prim- one of our primary antioxidants that help uh, fight off inflammation. And that Dr. Seneff was saying that glyphosate actually brings us into the pineal gland and gets it into our brain. So uh, a lot of scary things out there. Yes, yeah, uh, I think, um, yeah, exactly. No, I think that um, I just wanted to add that with the um, the glyphosate, I think it's um, there's more and more data coming out about the um, harmful, you know, the cancer-promoting effects and um, some of the harmful effects on the microbiome and um, effects on liver function and, and you know, suggestions that uh, this was known but just sort of suppressed. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see the, the data coming out on glyphosate the next few years. 
Yeah, for our listeners, my college roommate, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, uh, we had an interview about on that. I think it was like the third week in March. So check that out for more information on glyphosate. What about genetically modified foods? Does that, uh, how do they play? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, genetically modified foods are also uh, pretty new. And the research that was um, done on them was all generally done by the companies producing the products. So you have a clear conflict of interest because they don't want to say that their products are toxic. But when there's been independent research, um, they found that um, genetically modified foods can slightly throw off your endocrine system and, um, you know, affect some of your enzyme activity. Um, So, for example, with um, GMOs, um, the BT crops are very common. This is um, crops that are, that produce this this insecticide, which is the BT toxin that kills insects. And um, so at first it was thought that the BT toxin was just um, broken down and not absorbed, but now they're finding BT toxin in the blood of, you know, women and their fetuses. So it's clearly getting absorbed. And, um, and then, you know, more, uh, we're just learning about some of the possible effects of that um, as one example. So I think that, um, you know, it's, it's very controversial, of course. And uh, um, I think that the safest thing until we have definitive research is just try to avoid GMOs, you know, eating organic as much as possible, getting food locally from your farmer's market, uh, etc. Hard to do nowadays. Right, that's true. Okay, what about gluten? I mean, uh, you know, Dr. Tom O'Brien was talking that we just don't have the enzymes to break down gluten. Uh, is gluten harmful for everybody? Is there some of us that can get away with a few donuts now and then? Right, well, um, yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. And I think that, um, you know, there were ancient societies that did consume wheat but were um, healthy overall, um, such as, you know, certain populations in Europe, uh, for example. But those populations were very different from us now because they also had a healthy microbiome. They consumed fermented foods regularly. They had um, a lot of microbial exposure. And um, also they would always um, use, um, you know, fermented wheat that was much easier to digest and a um, different species than our modern genetically engineered wheat. And so um, in my book, I actually have a gluten compatibility quiz, which um, kind of tells you um, with a point system whether you, you know, can tolerate wheat or whether you might be better off um, avoiding it. And so I I think it has to be individualized like everything else. Um, I don't automatically tell people that um, they have to avoid, you know, gluten, but there's a lot of preconditions, though. You know, they have to have a healthy microbiome, uh, not have any autoimmune disease, not have any blood sugar problems, um, you know, and ideally have some testing with their functional medicine practitioner to make sure that they're, um, you know, able to tolerate it. So I think that uh, it's, it's not um, straightforward. You know, I think that it does need to be looked at, but there's a lot of reasons why people could have trouble with gluten in the modern world. Oh, so there's hope for me in those donuts. Yeah, I remember in the fifties. In the fifties, we were eating lots of wheat. I mean, we had Wonder Bread and Ding Dongs and all these wonderful things. We weren't getting as sick, right? I think that it's um, you know it's one of the key factors is just the change in the microbiome because the um, ability to tolerate wheat is definitely related to having a robust microbiome. And then the second factor is that the uh, genetic modification of wheat is very different. So, um, you know, what our grandmothers ate for wheat is uh, um, completely different because our modern wheat is called dwarf wheat, which is um, short but actually very prolific, and it's a lot more um, productive in terms of, uh, you know, farming and, you know, uh, the profits of agriculture. But it's much higher in starch and also much higher in gluten than the older strains of wheat. So the modern wheat could have up to 40 times as much gluten as wheat from, you know, a century ago. So um, there's different genes now, different types of gluten, different proteins in the wheat. So it's very different from the wheat that maybe our grandmothers ate and tolerated pretty well, you know. So there's hope for me. Uh, What about European wheat? So I can have a donut or a croissant over there? Well, it's interesting because um, a lot of my patients who are gluten-sensitive 
um, they report that when they travel and they have wheat in, say, Europe or the Middle East, they actually tolerate it much better than the wheat in the United States. And I think it's because of a combination of factors, maybe different um, food processing over there and different strains of wheat. Um, so I think that there is a difference that um, the people really have noticed. And um, so, you know, that may be true that wheat from other parts of the world is a little bit easier to handle. Uh, so there's hope for me yet. Okay. Um, in your book, there are other things besides diet that you talk about. So can you mention some of these? Yeah, absolutely. I think that these are the areas that are maybe not emphasized as much, but um, really vital to health. And um, number one is, of course, social connection and uh, addressing the huge epidemics of um, isolation. Because when they've looked at these blue zones, which are these areas of longevity around the world, you know, they all eat different diets. Uh, they all have different characteristics, except they're incredibly uh, socially connected. And um, that's a really huge factor for health. And um, I also talk a lot about the you know, emotional and spiritual aspects of health, the mind-body connection, um, sense of spirituality, you know, reducing your stress. Um, and of course, um, how to exercise correctly, because I also see a lot of people, you know, making mistakes when they're trying to exercise. Um, and then talking about other strategies like um, intermittent fasting, um, you know, having a daily routine and uh, getting uh, optimal sleep, of course. So there's just so many different factors that contribute to uh, maintain, you know, ideal health. Yeah, for the reader, I'd like to point out some of these blue zones are areas where there's increased health and there's a more of a connection, perhaps a better diet. Some of them will be Okinawa, Loma Linda, where there are primarily vegetarians, uh, uh, Nicoya, Costa Rica, and Ikaria in Greece. Now, you were talking about the proper way of exercise. What is the proper way to exercise? Um, so I think this is also... Customized, you know, determining on depending on the um, person's body type. But I think that um, you know, for certain people, the um, high intensity interval training um, is actually a, an a approach that works really well. Uh, it's known as um, HIT, and um, so high intensity interval training uh, mimics the activity of our hunter gatherers. So it's um, performing high-intensity exercise for short periods of time, like 30, 30 or 60 seconds, and then um, doing, you know, having a moderate interval where you're um, either, you know, just walking or moving more slowly, and then another um, high-intensity interval, and just repeating that seven or eight times. And uh, the studies comparing that to traditional cardio show that, you know, it's very um, helpful and, and maybe superior in terms of reducing you know, fat mass and um, insulin levels and, and hormonal things. So, um, yeah, I think depending on um, your body type, if um, you can tolerate the, the high-intensity interval training, that's definitely one uh, very good strategy to, you know, to incorporate. And then, uh, of course, avoiding prolonged sitting is another thing that um, I think everybody should do. And finally, I think um, if you're doing both weights and cardio, there's some research from the military that showed that um, doing the weight training first is actually superior. And the reason for that is that um, um, when you're doing the weight training, you're you know, depleting glycogen and energy stores, and then that promotes greater fat burning dur during the cardio phase. And then, um, you know, you um, also producing lactic acid during weight training, which is then cleared from the body dur uh, during the cardio phase as well. So, uh, doing the weights before cardio is probably uh, been a better idea. As Dr. Permuter uh, actually told us that like uh, exercise is one of the most important things you can do to stave off Alzheimer's. Now, there's a couple of other issues I would like to discuss before we draw to an end, and one is intermittent fasting that was mentioned by many of our speakers, as well as detox. So I'd like to hear your opinion on that and the paleovedic detox. Absolutely. Yeah, so intermittent fasting uh, absolutely is part of uh, our evolutionary history because we uh, didn't have access to food uh, consistently, and uh, so the fasting makes sense from the evolutionary perspective. And um, there's been a lot of research showing that it helps with you know burning fat, increasing growth hormone levels, um, normalizing your metabolic hormones like insulin, leptin, and ghrelin. 
Um, and so in my book, I talk about five different ways to do intermittent fasting. Um, I think one of the most common ways is just um, um, eating all your food during an eight-hour window, um, like, say, for example, between 12 noon and 8 p.m. Um, but that's not the only way. You know, there's actually uh, multiple ways to do intermittent fasting. So I recommend that people um, experiment with, you know, a different approaches and find uh, one that works works well for them. But the benefits of it are, are really uh, quite clear and quite exciting. We have three minutes then, left. So can we talk okay. about the, uh, the Paleovetic Detox? Sure. So with detoxification, you know, we talked earlier about the rise of environmental toxins and how we're all exposed to them in low level. And that's the reason why it's um, important to do a kind of detox every, um, you know, every few months, ideally. And um, basically, these uh, the paleovedic detox is a three-week program where you're eliminating, you know, problematic foods, um, taking in a lot of foods that help you with detoxification, and um, possibly using uh, like a, a tea or herb that helps your liver and kidney to, you know, to clear toxins. So um, in Ayurveda, 21 days is considered the ideal time for a detox because there's um, three doshas and seven tissues. So in that 21 days, um, all the tissue levels of each dosha uh, are cleared. But um, simply, you know, simply put, the Paleovedic detox is, um, gives you kind of a detailed list of you know, what are the common um, allergens to avoid, like gluten, dairy, soy, uh, et cetera, and also avoiding alcohol and caffeine and incorporating um, a lot of nutrient-dense foods. I hate to interrupt, um, during, during that time. we are coming to a close, so I would um, like to say that a couple of approaches for detox is sauna is very important, and oil pulling, where you might put something like coconut oil in your mouth so, uh, and just swish it around and then discard it. Um, now, uh, we've got one minute left, so uh, you can comment, or can you tell our listeners how to get a hold of you if they would like to do so? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, so my book is The Paleovedic Diet, and I maintain a blog on my website, drakil.com. And they can also connect with me on um, social media, um, Facebook, you know, Dr. Akil, or on Twitter, at Dr. Akil, all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-A-K-I-L. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. That was very informative. And so, audience, I would like to recommend you go out, do your own research, look things up, learn for yourself so you can help yourself and you can help others. Uh, bye for now. We got the power to change the world. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.